Rodriguez, host of the Daspination Podcast, where I cater to professional working man, 40 and above, who's looking to make positive changes to his health, lose weight, and become stronger overall through simple lifestyle changes. I'm here to share inspiration, tips, and proven lessons that I've personally learned and lived through in my 40 plus years on this beautiful blue planet. So today we'll start the discussion off by talking about how dietitians would upgrade <laughs> the Mediterranean diet in our first segment. And then we'll move on to our second segment and talk about stop doing this one exercise before bed. Before we get into that, if you'd like to join the conversation, then get on over to podcast.dasmination.com slash VIP to enroll in our insiders community where I share more entertaining behind the scenes stories, tips, and hacks that'll keep you feeling younger each and every day. That's podcast.dasmination.com slash VIP. Again, that's podcast.dasmination.com slash VIP. Be in the know starting right now. Also, don't forget to rate me on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening to this episode right now. And leave me a nice, fat, juicy five-star review and some absolutely beautiful words of why you love the show so much. It really helps me get the word out, and it's honestly the one place where your vote truly matters. And now let's move into our first segment, Healthy Conversations. So what are we talking about this week in uh, Healthy Conversations? (laughs) You know, like, uh, what is it? What is the conversation? What is the vibe out there? Um in the health and wellness and fitness and all that stuff in that field like what well you know i i came across um well this is kind of this is kind of way back in uh, january so back in january of this year uh 2021 the u.s news and world reports released an official ranking of the best diets currently out there and unfortunately There was no surprise as to which diet came out on top. That number one position went to the Mediterranean diet for the fourth year in a row. And it's pretty simple to understand why. I mean, (laughs) you know, the eating plan promotes things like lean proteins and whole grains and seafood and plenty of vegetables amongst other foods, you know. And most importantly, it doesn't completely alienate alcohol. (laughs) So the occasional glass of wine is okay, as long as you're not finishing the entire bottle in one sitting. All right, (laughs) let's just get it out there. And, And this was basically decided on by a panel of 25 experts who basically specialize in nutrition and obesity, diabetes and heart disease and stuff like that. So I'm going out there on a limb and saying that, you know, they know what they're talking about, right? <laughs> and I and I like how these experts determine the winner within these rankings, you know? So they look for things like, you know, how nutritionally sound and safe 
the eating plan is. They also look at, you know, the effectiveness of the plan for weight management. They, they look at things like the ability to prevent and manage conditions like diabetes and heart disease. And they also take into consideration how easy the diet or the plan is to follow. You know, because, you know, let's face it, if, if um, <laughs> you know, for me, actually, you know, for that, that last point is a huge one because, again, honestly, I mean, what good is a meal plan that you can't easily follow? think about that you know what i mean who gives a shit you know how great or how wonderful a meal plan is yeah if it's so difficult to follow you know what how what good is that to you you know and you know and taking all of this into consideration it's not exactly hard you know to see why the mediterranean diet would be out all the other ones you know that are more restrictive like you know case in point the ketogenic diet or the um the alkaline diet like these two diets are a lot more restrictive and you know the it's like no to this and no to that and you can't have this and you can't eat that it's like screw that i want i need to eat you know there's also a ton of studies backing up the benefits of the mediterranean diet and it also leaves more on the table than it restricts you know we just kind of we just kind of mentioned that that um the fact that the mediterranean diet kind of doesn't alienate so many things like it's not it's not there saying you can't have this you can't have that it, it, it's pretty lenient and flexible if you ask me there's a lot less no to this and no to that than there is yes this is okay and that's okay you know but let's be honest here i mean it's still not perfect there are you know there's still some flaws that can possibly be fixed or upgraded <laughs> if you're you know if you're in my world and so there was a survey again of registered dietitians to see how they felt about the mediterranean diet taking that top spot again and how they would you know hope the eating plan continues to evolve in the future you know and the first thing that they pretty much unanimously came up with was this first point and it's that it should incorporate lifestyle habits not just food you know like th that's uh, uh, you know, that's a pretty big one right there. Like right now, most recommendations in regards to the Mediterranean diet tend to focus only or specifically on nutrition. <clears throat> you know, they leave out important parts of the Mediterranean lifestyle, you know, like uh, culture, community, and uh, movement. <laughs> you know, they, they, they really promote just physical movement, you know, and that is not taken into consideration when they're, uh, you know, they're judging the these diets on key points that they, as we say, selling points, you know, all of which play a significant role in impacting the possible long-term health benefits of this particular diet. And now community and movement are super important pillars in blue zones. You know, you have to put that out there. You know, these zones of the globe, these parts of the earth where people live the long and healthiest you know so we we need to stop looking at the mediterranean diet as a quote-unquote a diet you know and start discussing it or, or bringing it up or referring to it or thinking about it as a lifestyle a lifestyle where if 
<laughs> you know, if we looked closely enough, we'll see how it has many similarities with other traditional cultures around the world, you know? So again, we need to start thinking beyond the word diet, quote unquote, you know, and start embracing the lifestyle. <laughs> the second improvement or upgrade that was suggested by these dietitians was uh, the followers should broaden what they consider Mediterranean food. So what are we talking about here? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, uh, part of why the dietitians in the survey felt that the Mediterranean diet continues to come out on top is because it's based on whole minimally processed foods. It's a win in their book, you know. But even though the eating plan doesn't seem to be very uh, restrictive, there are ways these dietitians believe it should be expanded even more, <laughs> you know. Starting with the types of cuisine that people think of as Mediterranean food you know that's that's the first mind expansion really that that would need to happen you know because when people think of the Mediterranean area in general like if actual geographic location of where the Mediterranean sits you know they, they tend to they tend to think of countries like Italy and France you know but the in reality the Mediterranean Sea <laughs> spans Western Europe as well as northern Africa and the Middle East. So what the dietitians are hoping for, what they want <laughs> is the evolution of the Mediterranean diet. You know, they want it to include people, countries, and cuisines that, that reach way past what they think of as Mediterranean food. You know, they want it to include ingredients and dishes from these other regions as well, you know, because realistically it does. And the base foods of these regions, of these different countries, they kind of share a common theme to them, like a common uh, base, you know. Uh, or foundation, if you will, you know? So anyway, the third upgrade, if you will, is using spices in new ways. So another aspect of the Mediterranean diet that most dietitians love, <laughs> you know, is that it includes so many different and interesting spices. So as you know, <laughs> spices add flavor as well as extra health benefits. You kind of know that, you know, but go figure. You know, the dietitians in the survey felt that even the spices used is something that can be built upon and improved on. Like one reason why they think people love Greek salad is because it has these great spices. And that's not something we tend to think to include spices in. <laughs> you know, like we don't normally put together a salad and say, hmm, <laughs> what spices should I put into this? But but they do, you know, they, they actually take that into consideration and they build on, like they, they do, they actually do add some spices into their salad, you know? And actually, this was a tip I took from one of the dietitians from the survey. And, you know, she said that the next time that you have a salad at home, try putting cumin on your lettuce and drizzling a little pumpkin seed oil on it. Now, I personally haven't tried this yet, but they say it's delicious, <laughs> you know, so I think I'll have, I'll have to give it a shot and report back to you. Or hey, uh, if, if you've tried it, then drop it in the comments and let us know your thoughts, you know? Have you done this? Have you sprinkled your lettuce with some cumin or, or your salad with cumin and, and then drizzled a little pumpkin seed oil on it? Let me know. How was it? Share, share, share. Drop 
drop it in the comments because I'd really like to know and I'm sure I'm not the only one out there that would. <laughs> you know, but that being said, in the survey report, some of the dietitians said they hope that people will think of ways to use the spices in their own pantry. You know, it's not just when you're making chicken or fish. Get creative, <laughs> you know, experiment a little. Go wild, live on the edge, you know, of your spice rack, that is. <laughs> And this is what they're suggesting for you as an upgrade to the Mediterranean plan. You know, they, they encourage you to experiment with the wide variety of spices, way, you know, way beyond what you would consider to be Italian or Greek, you know, being open-minded and broadening your repertoire <laughs> to include the Mediterranean region as a whole and even beyond it, you know. The fourth improvement they suggested is ensuring that following the eating plan is more accessible to BIPOC communities or the black indigenous and people of color communities. And while the dietitians are a fan of the Mediterranean diet, they also say that it has some shortcomings that need to be addressed in order to make it more accessible to more people. You know, so again, we typically hear that the Mediterranean diet can be adapted, quote unquote, to meet specific cultural needs, but <laughs> you know, essentially what's happening is that we're brushing other cultures aside and giving precedence to Western eating styles as if it were, you know, the only way to be healthy. You know, this plug and play model, this mentality is, is kind of seen as being narrow minded and, and uh, discriminatory, at, you know, to many people. This is mostly due to the fact that some foods that are characteristically Mediterranean are not always known by or even accessible to these BIPOC communities. You know, many of these communities are, uh, to say that they're disproportionately affected by food insecurity and hunger and stuff like that, like, they just, really, I mean, they just don't have access to some of these foods, you know what I mean? So they couldn't incorporate these foods, these um, ingredients, if even if they wanted to, <laughs> you know? Again, they just don't have access to some of these foods, you know? Or, or they're, they're more likely to live in food deserts, if you will, you know? Uh, making it so much harder for them to include these ingredients into their diets. So that being said, <laughs> You know, the dietitians from the survey, they felt that, you know, it's important for the Mediterranean diet to consider accessibility and other cultural habits, if you will, you know? And all in all, <laughs> they wanted to let people know that it's important, you know? Important to realize that there's not just one universally healthy eating plan for all bodies. You know, that, that just doesn't exist, you know? In order to engage these communities, like healthy diets have to be reviewed within the context of culture to ensure they are relevant, you know, and achievable and above all sustainable, you know, because think about it. If a, if a diet plan calls for a certain vegetable that's not available in your part of the world for whatever reason, 
you know? Then how is that diet plan going to be effective for you, <laughs> you know? It'll have to be reevaluated. That that I guess that that was the point that they were trying to make. You know, food is highly personal for people. It's it's an illustration of their culture and identity. You know, we eat not just to nourish our bodies, you know, yeah, like yeah, that's that's good and all and we need that, you know, but it's it's also part of our lives like it, it, it's there to enrich your daily life to nourish your life you know to give you something to i'm not gonna say something to live for because that kind of sounds i don't know but <laughs> it's more than just sustenance you know what i mean like it's it's a way of life it's a it's a cultural thing and another way of spicing up the mediterranean diet plan is by creating mediterranean fusion dishes so they're hoping that the evolution of the mediterranean diet will grow to include people putting their own unique stamp on it you know their their own unique little spin they you know there there's such a wide range of cuisine in various parts across the u.s alone <laughs> you know think about what flavors are unique to where you live and how you can add them into your dishes using the principles of the mediterranean diet you know so they say that like the key to adding your own twist you know while still staying true to the mediterranean diet is simply by ensuring that the ways you build off it are still plant forward minimally processed and incorporating healthy fats that way you're still getting the nutrients that make the mediterranean diet such a popular diet and, and so healthy you know but you'll you'll be using a wider variety of foods and spices to actually get there and the last improvement or upgrade or or hack <laughs> you know to the mediterranean plan would be reframing the diet from its end-all be-all status you know and, and here's what they mean by that as beneficial as the mediterranean diet is they hope the way we talk about the eating plan evolves in the future. So again, promoting health and optimizing nutrition throughout your lifespan requires a globally inclusive lens, a lens where cultural diversity is accepted and included in all levels, <laughs> whether that be in nutrition, research and review, uh, dietary guidelines, public policies on healthy eating, and the ever popular media. Like they hope that the future will be advocating that the Mediterranean diet is one healthy way of living, not the healthy way to live. Because at the end of the day, there's no denying the health benefits that make the Mediterranean diet a healthy eating plan for so many to follow. But broadening the way that we think about what it means to eat Mediterranean will make it even more of a win going forward into the future. And so the more you know, the better you'll be. And now, with all that said and done, let's switch gears and move on to our second segment with Mighty Man. All right, so this in this week's installment of Mighty Man, we're talking about the one exercise that you need to stop doing <laughs> before bed. So let's face it, guys. 
Finding time to exercise is important. We know this. <laughs> you know, even when you have to keep a busy schedule, we know that it's important to find time to exercise. But that doesn't mean there's never a bad time to work up a sweat. <laughs> you know, and surprisingly, the experts are saying that exercising at night could be negatively impacting your sleep. So if you're the type of person that likes to work out at night and you're finding it hard to fall asleep, <laughs> this is the episode for you. You know, I, I, I suppose it's a good thing that you're working out in the first place. So that's a big old good for you, my friend, you know, really. But again, sleep is also just as important and I'd argue probably more important. So let's try and get some rest so you can see those true gains from all that work that you're putting in at the gym. You know, and while some workouts are okay, you know, to do before jumping into bed, there's one kind of exercise in particular that could, you know, it could be keeping you awake at night. And so like, according to the experts at sleep.org, engaging in more strenuous exercise in the 90 minutes before you plan on hitting the hay, quote unquote, <laughs> you know, this could make falling asleep so much more difficult. And there's research, like actual research to back that up. You know, they're not just throwing it out there and trying to start a movement. No, there's research behind that <laughs> and because that's what I do. I find the research, I dig into it. And, you know, so, and there was a study published in the journal uh, Sports Medicine back in October of 2018 that found that while exercising in the evening is generally not an issue, like more generally, it's not a problem to do that. They actually found that intense workouts that are done within an hour of your bedtime can and usually does negatively impact your ability to fall asleep. And more than that, it keeps you from staying asleep. You know, it's one thing trying to get to sleep, but when you spend so, so much time just sitting there, laying there, counting sheep, trying to get to sleep, you finally fall asleep just to wake up 30 minutes later. That shit ain't good. <laughs> You know, I, I don't think I have to tell you that this is not good because it essentially reduces the quality of your overall sleep, you know? So strenuous exercise is even more likely to disturb sleep by revving you up. You know, this is the opposite of what's recommended, you know? They say that several hours before bedtime, it's generally best to minimize major exercise. So again, don't do strenuous exercise within 90 minutes of going to bed, you know, putting 90 minutes between a strenuous, vigorous workout and bedtime is essential. Again, your body and mind absolutely need that 90 minutes to cool down from a workout. And during, you know, aerobic or cardio workouts, your heart rate and body temperature both increase. No brainer. <laughs> you know that. Obviously, this gives you the boost of energy and an increase in endorphins. And while these benefits, like the these this energy and the endorphins, like these, this is excellent for your overall health, they're not at all conducive to you 
falling asleep. They're not helping you fall asleep. Like they're not going to help you get that rest that your body so rightfully deserves. You know, you honestly need to give your body time to recover and cool down from a big workout before sleeping. Exercising also gives you a jolt of energy through a hormone called cortisol. Now, cortisol is excellent for increasing energy levels. But again, it is not especially great for sleep because it promotes alertness and awakeness. <laughs> if those are two words, I, you know, but and so if you exercise too close to bedtime, you risk having higher lingering blood cortisol levels. What this means is that it's going to make it more difficult to fall asleep and stay asleep. Again, that's remember. <laughs> Actually, there's even a term for this in sleep science. It's called runner's insomnia. I'm not sure if you heard about it but the name is it's kind of misleading because it's not actually exclusive to running alone you know like it, it's just a term that they use to describe this um inability to fall asleep because of you know working out right before bedtime but listen not all is doom and gloom here i mean <laughs> there are actually a handful of exercises that you can do right before bed that won't keep you awake. And if you want to squeeze in a workout, which is never a bad idea, wink, wink, <laughs> it is suggested that you stick to low or moderate intensity workouts before bed. So like, you know, low intensity exercises before bedtime can give you the health benefits of exercise without increasing your heart rate and, and body temperature to the point where, you know, it starts interfering with your sleep. You know, these types of exercise can help prepare your body <laughs> and your mind for relaxation and sleep. Boom! You know? So things like Pilates, stretching, meditation, like these are among the, uh, these are some of the best exercises to do before bed. You know, also other uh, light cardio exercises like walking or riding a stationary bike on low resistance or even swimming, you know, are all generally okay to do before bed. Like these exercises, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll moderately raise your heart rate. And so you'll get the, again, you'll get the benefits of a workout, but they won't keep you from going to sleep basically. And of course, let's not forget my personal favorite, yoga, baby. <laughs> Yoga is especially beneficial before bed because not only are you getting exercise, but you're also helping your body to relax for sleep. So, so many benefits to yoga. <laughs> Where do they end? <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know, but I'll keep preaching it until you reach out to me and tell me how you gave into it, tried some yoga, and now <laughs> you're just kind of hooked on it. <laughs> These are actual responses I, I've gotten from the community after I've shared the specific yoga routines that I've personally been doing you know and it's and it's gotten some great reception really <laughs> just another reason to be in the know but aside from all the benefits of yoga working out in the afternoon can also help you fall asleep faster I mean you can work out at any time outside of the 90 minutes before bed without it having negative consequences on your sleep but if you want to improve your sleep you may want to be a little more pointed <laughs> about when you squeeze in a workout, you know? <laughs> there was a study published in um, 2006 that found that people who exercised in the afternoon 
Well, they enjoyed better sleep. So according to what they found in this study, 70% of people who worked out between the hours of 4 and 8 p.m. said they had an easier time falling asleep. And 66% of them reported experiencing deeper sleep. Let me say that again and a little simpler. Falling asleep quicker and falling asleep deeper. That's excellent right there, if you ask me. Something worth trying, you know what I mean? Not only that, but 65% of the people who participated in this study also said that they woke up feeling so much better. <laughs> I'm not a late afternoon workout type of guy, but that might change soon. That might change because I do love my sleep. <laughs> I love waking up refreshed and ready to go. You know, sometimes that doesn't happen, but when it does, oh baby, <laughs> you know, look out because here I come. Love me a good night's sleep. I have some other secret weapons for a better night's sleep, and I've heard nothing but praise and accolades from the community. But anyway, <laughs> with all that said and done, that's it, you guys. That's my show for today. I hope you found some valuable information here. If nothing else, I hope I've entertained you for a few minutes and was able to bring you a little manly sunshine to you guys. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to listen to me. It's very much appreciated. On next week's episode, we'll be talking about the five-minute core shredding workout. So, fellas, if you're pressed for time and still want that six-pack, then you definitely do not want to miss next week's episode. If you love what you heard in today's episode and want more actionable topics just like these, then you, my friend, need to be in the conversation with me and the rest of the community by heading on over to podcast.gasplanation.com slash VIP to enroll in our insiders community where I share exclusive raw behind the scenes stories, tips, and hacks that'll keep you feeling younger and younger each and every day. That's podcast.daspination.com slash VIP. Again, that's podcast.daspination.com slash VIP. Be in the know starting right now. Also, don't forget to rate me on Apple Podcasts wherever it is that you're listening to this episode right now. And leave me a nice, fat, juicy five-star review and some absolutely beautiful words of why you love the show so much. It really helps me get the word out and it's honestly the one place where your vote truly matters. Till our next chat, take care now. Bye.